The Walks Around Britain podcast is sponsored by Travel, the world leader for vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats and more. Visit travel.co.uk to check out the product range for the car you drive. On the 33rd edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we discover more about the England Coast Path with writer Stephen Neal. And have you ever dreamed about changing jobs and running your own campsite? Well, I talked to Seanad Bannister, who did just that. Hello, and you're very welcome to the 33rd edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast. I am Andrew White, and I'm your walking guide for the next 30 or so minutes of walking and outdoor chat. As an island nation, we've always had a connection to the coast, and that applies not just to book it and spade holidays by the seaside, but also for walking too. Two of the country's most popular national trails, the Southwest Coast Path and the Pembrokeshire Coast Path, are by the sea. But away from these and a few other trails, access to the coast for walking has been traditionally quite restricted. That was until 2012, when a quite miraculous event happened, the opening of a path all around the coastline of Wales, the Wales Coast Path. Now, the idea of a coastal path around England was kicking around several years before the Wales Coast Path eventually fully opened. And to find out more, I got in touch with an old friend who I hadn't chatted to for quite a while, Stephen Neal. Stephen, it's great to talk to you again after, it seems like, quite a long time. Yeah, I think the reason I stopped chatting to you is because our chats went on for too long. (laughs) Past three o'clock in the morning type thing, so, uh, yeah. (laughs) Got life to get on with. Yeah, and and sleep. (laughs) Sleep's overrated. (laughs) Well, we're chatting today because you have a book out. Tell us about your new book. Yes, it's called The England Coast Path. And it's about two things. The first part of the book is the story of the England Coast Path and how and why it was made and who made it. And the second part of the book, a thousand of my favourite wonderful places to go around the England Coast Path. Can you tell me a bit more about how it came about? (laughs) It came out of a protest movement, I think. The Crow Act, the Countryside and Rights of Way Act. It was a way uh, to enable us all to get more access to mountains, more and heath just to get better access to the land but some of those phrases that i've just used are mountain moor and heath i live in essex and i'm a member of essex ramblers and here in essex we have very very little mountain moor and heath (laughs) we have almost (laughs) nothing so essex ramblers are a little cross with this because the thing that we do have more of arguably than anybody else's coast and the reason why is because we have these things called muddy creeks yes and these muddy creeks are intestine like that weave their way into the uh, fabric of our society and you've probably read about them in smugglers tales that's the creeks were famous for smugglers but they were famous for other things like thames barges that used to water and feed london with um, mm. clay for bricks essex has this most amazing coast and so the the essex ramblers <laughs> said why wasn't coast included in the crow act and they got very very angry about this and they decided that they were going to launch a campaign for essex to have unlimited access to its coast and a person called dave hitchman decided to go and survey the essex coast and then he sent that to essex ramblers and asked them to support his campaign for unlimited access to the coast and they agreed with it 
and they sent that off to Ramblers HQ and said, will you support our campaign for unlimited access to the Essex coast? And they said, no, we won't. We won't support that. But what we will do is we'll support a campaign for unlimited access to the English coast. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so there, that was the seed. And uh, that happened round about, around about 2000-ish. That received unanimous support cross-party, and we had the uh, um, an act of parliament was passed to make this thing happen, and it's about to open, going to open very soon. So that's in a in a nutshell the story of the England Coast Path. Alongside this, of course, is the parallel project of the Wales Coast Path as well, which yes, which, which has been to see here in England to be an open. The England Coast Path may well have not happened if it wasn't for the Wales Coast Path. Part of the reason why the England Coast Path is going to open, despite the many, many hurdles that happened along the way, is because the Wales Coast Path has been such a fantastic success. Mm. It's, it's proved to be a success in terms of the amount of visitors it's attracted and um, the benefits economically and to visitors. And, and that's how it helped massively with the England Coast Path. And the interesting thing also is that the England Coast Path has this additional piece of legislation, hasn't it, which will hopefully protect it in future when it comes to coastal erosion yes the rollback which is you know it's very interesting i had a call from a journalist um about a month or so ago and she'd spent some time looking at the coast path looking at the and she said you know the thing is it's it's just what we've already got i don't really get it and i said no no but it's it's this rollback and she said well what's rollback and i said well at the moment, what we've got is um, as a footpath is lost to the sea, that's it. It's gone. Your access is lost. And she said, yeah. And I said, but that won't happen anymore. It will just be redrawn and it will just be pulled back and pulled back. And we're not going to lose the access, which is actually quite fantastic. Trying to get this through all the various landowners has been an enormous achievement for Natural England. It's an incredible achievement. And although this spoken me through how they managed to pull it off it's still amazing that they had the foresight the insight and the skill to be able to do it and in a nutshell how they did it and it's a message for everybody out there every council every every developer and if you want to get something through something that's as controversial as running a footpath through somebody's back garden the way you do that is by talking to them and you've got to listen to why they're concerned, what their concerns are. And then you've got to think about how you're going to address those concerns. But the key is listening. That's what Natural England set out to do, to truly, truly listen and understand people and tr- you know, really think about what they were saying about their concerns and then setting about to address those concerns. So the interesting thing is that obviously lots of parts of England now are going to have access to the coast that they didn't have before. Mm. But also in places like obviously the Southwest Coast Path, because of this rollback element, they're going to benefit as well, aren't they? Yes, massively so. Exactly. The other thing is, which is a significant change, is the, the corridor, the notion that this is not just a path along which you can walk your rights extend much further you know it's it's to do a lot more than that it's to to really enjoy in the sense of um flying a kite playing ball games i don't know what the legal required width of a bride away are whatever they are they're quite narrow (laughs) the england coast path is quite a bit wider than that 
and that's really important. And, you know, landowners have had to take that on board. One of the things about the coast path, it wasn't just about giving us all access. It was it was to help regenerate coastal areas. Mm. I'm as passionate about that as access, to be honest with you, simply because I'm very selfish. I like a cake and a <laughs> cup of tea. And as much as I love well camping, I do quite like a soft bed as well. You know, <laughs> so, so you I don't want to, can't you? Yeah, I don't want to see these pubs and cafes and tea houses closed down, you know. And of course, I mean, I went to a council meeting. There's a lot of businesses there from the, the district. A chap came over to me after the meeting and he said, yeah, he said, I rung a cricket club. I'm really quite upset with this Coast Path thing. And I said, what's the problem? He said, it's, it's this damn spreading room thing. He said, I don't like this. When we're having a cricket match... He said, as I understand it, this is going to mean that people can pull up a mat and uh, have a picnic for the side of our cricket pitch. And he said, we're not too happy about that. But I said, you know, a lot of it's just common sense. You know, you see someone having a picnic, you just go over and you say, excuse me, can you move? <laughs> and also, would you really want to have a picnic at the side of a cricket pitch? This is exactly, exactly, exactly. So it's common sense. So he said, yeah, I'm not very happy about it. But he said, anyway, what we do need is we need new members. I am happy that, that there are going to be more people walking past and aware that we're here. And that we're hoping that it will generate some publicity for the club. See, so it was a double-edged sword. You know, on the one mm. hand, he was reasonably, perfectly reasonably concerned that walkers were going to impact on their cricket matches. So it's a perfectly reasonable thing for him to raise. But on the other hand, he could see the potential benefits of getting some new members in. And that, that really perfectly sums up the coast path, I think, really. You know, people being reasonably concerned about things are going to change, but also seeing the potential there and trying to address those issues that might cause them a problem and then capitalise on the, the upsides. You're talking about the upsides. And of course, if we look at the experience in Wales, there are some fantastic public health benefits, but also some fantastic benefits when it comes to getting people to the coast and engaging with, with rural businesses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, others will decide, you know, which of those priorities and um, benefits are more important to them. And, you know, we're all individuals. I mean, but yes, the health benefits, the commercial benefits, they're very different things, but they're, they're both equally massively important. And I mean, again, Corona has taught us that health and welfare and um, access to clean air is actually um, one of the single most important things to us being economically stable and viable as a nation <laughs> so mm. or, or as a globe you know so yes those things are not very different at all are they and also i think to have access to the coast i mean as an island nation we've had that link to the coast haven't we and we all go into the seaside and and i think as we grow up that connection with the coast is still there yeah i mean um that, you're right it, it goes back to childhood doesn't it i mean most of us you know, our, our memories, our favourite memories are probably from coastal holidays and days out at the coast. I mean, I talk to lots of people about this and I read lots of research. You, you know, you could possibly argue that people are more drawn to woodland and forest than beaches and the coast. When you can combine those two things together, which you can, when you can find areas of coast that are wooded and forested, mm. Norfolk and Cumbria, you know, or well, you know, all round it, even in Essex, those places are very, very special indeed. And also, I think that woodland has that, I suppose, everyday aspect to it because we've all probably got a wood 
within five miles or 10 miles or of where we live. But yet the coast has got that special aspect to even to those people who That's true. live there, isn't it? It's still a special place. And if you don't live there, then going to the coast is, is one of those special days out. It, you know, you're just making me think now, you know, when we were kids going on holiday and um, it's that first sight of sea, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when you when you pull over the, that hill and then your mum and dad <laughs> say, there he is. And it, that feeling is just, you know, the butterflies in the stomach, you know, whether we were six or 60, you know, even now, it's the same day, you know, even in my mid 50s, you know, however far you've driven, you know, whether it's an hour or whether it's eight hours to get that view of the skyline and the water is just unbelievable, fantastic. And there is something, I think, magical about that coastal air, isn't there? And the access that you can have now with this with this coastal path, I think we're not expecting lots of people to be walking around it in one go, but the access and the ability to, to go wherever you want to along that line is an amazing thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think the Labour government back in the, the sort of mid-90s, they had this idea, it's a really good idea, it was a thing called the Green Grid, and it was how they were going to link up every footpath, every bridleway, and they were going to draw these links right into the most urban areas, the most densely populated towns and cities, make these uh, sort of green corridor links so that everywhere you walked, you could see a little sign that said, um, it was going to say something like you're only two miles from the green grid yeah i mean you you probably remember it andrew but it never happened because they ran out of money (laughs) (laughs) as as with most great ideas eh? but you know the uh the driving force behind that idea was that in your mind didn't matter where you were living or where you were working that you could walk past those beacons and know that you only had to walk two miles or get on a bus and go two miles and you were on the green grid and from there you were joined to this network over the entire UK and you were you were sort of connected to nature and the coast path doesn't quite achieve that but that's part of you know this idea that it's all joined hmm. and that there are obviously diversions it doesn't hug the entire coast all the way because there are times when it has to come in but under the act of parliament you had to be able to always see the sea you know so that, that's brilliant isn't it well, I mean, to have actually written that into the legislation uh, that just is shows a pretty you, fantastic thing. That is pretty fantastic. Now, again, like all things, like all rules, there are exceptions to that rule. So on Natural England, the architects were allowed to waver on that or to um, take exceptions to that when the path came in on a tidal river. Yes. So there are exceptions, but 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 it's just been so cleverly and brilliantly designed. The amount of thought that's gone into it, its purpose, what what it's for, you know, access, and um, enabling people to feel connected to nature, you know, and that's that's a wonderful thing. And it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, you know, but it's a step in the right direction, and it's going to be joined and linked. That's lovely unbroken tell us more about how we can get your book the best way to get the book is to go to my website which is stephen with a ph neil and neil is n-e-a-l-e and there's an annoying dash between stephen and neil.com <laughs> so if you if that's all just too troublesome just go to amazon and put in england coast path and 
Yeah, but it's cheaper if you buy it from my website. And you're supporting the author as well. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you want to go out and try and help local businesses, it's a brilliant way of doing that, you know. I mean, I'm all for packed lunches, and I'd encourage you to take a packed lunch, but there's still a good reason to stop by the pub and have a pint or, you know, the coffee shop and the cake shop and all those things. It's uh, Or stop over for a few nights in the B&B once we're open. So, yeah, there's no better way and there's no better coast in the world. You know that, Andrew? I do, yes. <laughs> Although our Scottish and Welsh and Channel Islands and Isle of Man listeners would all think fight for their coasts as well, and, and they're all lovely too. It is about the British coast, of course, you know. It, it yeah. wouldn't have happened... It wouldn't have happened without the um, the access we have to the Scottish coast and the Welsh coast path and um, the wonderful British Isles. It's all part of it. Stephen, thanks for your time. Thank you, Andrew. Talk soon. More conversations lasting into the wee small hours of the morning are beckoning, I reckon. Don't forget, there are many walks along the coast on Walks Around Britain. Search on our website for them. Or if you want to watch them, you can visit our subscription site, Walks Around Britain Plus, and head to the Coast Collection. The Walks Around Britain podcast is brought to you by Travel, the world-leading manufacturer and retailer of vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats and more. Adding travel products enables you to get out and enjoy walking adventures with friends, family and dogs so that everybody enjoys the journey. Travel offers the best fit guarantee of any brand when purchasing direct through their website or your money back. Visit travel.co.uk to see the product range available for the car you drive. Now, how many of us have ever thought about completely changing our jobs and a whole way of life to do something different? Maybe you love camping so much that you might think about running your own campsite. Well, for most of us, thoughts like that fleet across the mind and go nowhere. But for Shannon Bannister, that is exactly what her and her husband did. And she joins me now from Deep East Wales. Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Tell me how this life-changing event happened. Well, um, it's coming up to five years ago now, um, be five years in September. We decided to kind of abandon the nine to five, if you like. We upped and left our home in the city of Manchester, where we'd been living for about eight years, myself and my husband and our um, two-year-old at the time, daughter. And we kind of lock, stock and barrel, moved down to beautiful West Wales to run a campsite. So we've spent the last five years basically working. (laughs) We've been um, building up the campsite. It was running as a campsite already, but it needed a lot of work to get it how we wanted it to be. My parents came along for the ride as well. So it's a real family-run campsite. And we pride ourselves on being very family-friendly, being very open to families with small children. It's very kind of back-to-nature camping. We don't have arcades or slot machines or swimming pools or any of those things. So it's real kind of old-fashioned camping is, is how we like to describe it. So how do you get to a point where you decide that you're going to do something like this? How did that happen? It's funny, really. I mean, myself and my husband, Matthew, I mean, we've always we've always been campers. We went on quite a few camping adventures, especially before the, the kids came along. And 
I think we were set at a campsite in the Peak District one night and um, we're looking around, thinking, oh, this is lovely, isn't it? How nice. We sat outside the tent with a glass of wine. Oh, this would be lovely. Wouldn't it be nice to do something like this ourselves? And we got a bit carried away, you know, the more wine we had, yes, and we could do this and have this and wouldn't that be amazing? And <laughs> um, we really created this kind of dream campsite that we wanted to run. And it was basically just all the things that we loved about camping. And so over the next year, a couple of years, we kind of joke about it and, and say, yeah, when we retired, this is what we'll do. And it began to be much more of a dream. And then my parents had both decided to retire and they'd put the family home for sale and they said to us well look although we're retiring we don't really want to sit back and start knitting so this dream of a campsite it sounds good to us why don't we all go in together and we'll live and work all together and we'll all chip in um, and help to make the dream so that's what we did and I have to say, you know, it really is a dream come true. I mean, I said earlier, it's hard work. It is really hard work. But for me, yeah, it's absolutely, I cannot believe. I still look back at that night. We were sat outside the tent. I still remember it saying, wouldn't it be amazing if we could do this? And now we're doing it. So I definitely feel very privileged to be able to kind of live live the dream, as it were. So how did you find that specific campsite? It was funny, really. I mean, we had quite a, a huge search the search spanned probably about three or four years from when we initially decided, yes, let's go for it. Um, the first stumbling block was selling property. At that time in North Wales, it was a very slow housing market. So it took a bit of time to sell the family home. Um, in the meantime, we'd started to look at a lot of different sites that we wanted. Some we liked, some we didn't. There were bits of everyone that we thought, yeah, this could work. So we were getting a bit more of a picture of what what we wanted. We first came down to see Dolbrin in 2012 and we all absolutely loved it straight away. It seemed to have everything that we wanted. It's very much a grass site, so we've got lots of grass pitches here, but we've also got lots of wild space as well. Every metre isn't dedicated to pitches so there's lots of woodland there's a few kind of spare fields as we like to call them so there's plenty of space here it wasn't too developed either it wasn't one of those what I would kind of call like a car park caravan site where you know the traditional tarmac roads with caravans on them it was all a bit more higgledy-piggledy it had a lot of character and the previous owners absolutely had poured a lot of love into it. And that was really evident. The time had come for them to retire and move on. But you could see that they had, had loved this place. Um, and, yeah, we all fell in love with it as well. But sadly, at that time, we weren't able to make an offer because, as I say, we were still waiting for, for houses to sell. And eventually, three years later, the house had sold. We'd forgotten all about Dolbrin and assumed that it that too had been sold. So we kept looking and looking and we went, you know, all over the country, Cornwall, Devon, Yorkshire, still hadn't found anything to compare to Dolbrin. When we got a phone call from an agent saying, oh, we've got this great new campsite, it's just come on our books, we think you're going to love it. So we said, yeah, Fab, send us the details. Got the email. Lo and behold. Lo and behold, (laughs) it was the beautiful campsite we'd we'd looked at three years ago that hadn't sold then. And they'd put it with new agents. 
and so it felt like fate it definitely felt like fate like it was meant yeah. to be and of course from their side they'll have looked at that and thought again it's this is fate because they would have wanted it to be carried on by somebody who really wanted to make something their own as well wouldn't they yeah absolutely I think we were really lucky that we've I mean we've still got a good relationship with the previous owners they didn't move far away um, a few miles down the road so especially in the first couple of years um, I was constantly phoning them saying oh tell me about this or what happens here or what's this button for or what's this key and you know we're lucky that they were more than happy to help and yeah I think they were quite glad that it was going to a family who wanted to make it work and who wanted to continue it in much the same way that they had, you know, we weren't going to tarmac it and put static caravans on it or anything like that. It was very much continuing the work that they'd done. So, yeah, I um, absolutely believe that it, it was kind of meant to be. So I think it was about three years and six months after we first looked at it, we moved down, we exchanged, completed, and we moved down in the September, about 2015 it was. So, uh yeah. So this was a great dream, sitting outside the tent all those years ago. How did the reality compare pretty early on? I think pretty early on, it was quite tough. And there was definitely the first kind of six to 12 months, often that standing in the bathroom in the morning thinking, what have we done? Um, <laughs> <laughs> at that time, Matthew was still working up in Manchester, so he would commute He'd leave on a Monday morning. It's about a four-hour drive up north. He'd work, stay with friends Monday to Thursday, and then come back down. So we that must were very have been pretty challenging times. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. So yeah, there was. Luckily, mum and dad were here, but none of us really knew what we were doing. We'd obviously we'd camped at plenty of places before, but we'd never run one. Yeah, and we really hit the ground running. We took over in September, so obviously the site was was still open for the for the season. But gradually, you know, we found our feet. We started to make lists and lists and lists and lists of, of what needed doing and what we could achieve. And we just got stuck in, really. We sorted out new pitches, redesigned the bar, we put in a new shop, we redesigned the website, had an online booking facility, which wasn't previously available, all compounded by the fact that a few months after we moved here, I found out I was pregnant with my second baby, which of course, <laughs> you know, with the acute tiredness and hormones that goes along with that was all fun and games. And Joey was actually born the first weekend of the school summer holidays in our first full season. So, uh, yeah, talk about uh, timing. <laughs> it was terrible timing. But, you know, he was a, he was such a, a chilled out little baby. He just came everywhere in the sling with me. I mean, there's no such thing as maternity leave. But, um, you know, wherever I was, whether I was, you know, working behind the bar or cleaning the toilets or on reception, he was just there with me in the sling. So, uh, yeah, he's a true Dolbrin baby. <laughs> So you, you mentioned, obviously, this is a family affair, and the family obviously includes the kids, and the kids must have a very interesting and amazing childhood living on on this place. Yeah, I think so. That's one of the things that um, if I ever do struggle with it, sometimes I think, oh, you know, I'm tired, or you get to the end of the summer and you think, oh, this is hard work. I always come back to the the idea that this is what we so wanted for our children and how unique it's going to be for them growing up. 
I mean, in so many ways, they've obviously got friends on demand pretty much throughout the summer months um, mm. and a constant supply of them. So they really enjoy that. They've got all this beautiful land on their doorstep. They've got their own park, a playing park in, in the, pretty much in the garden. Um, granted, they have to share that, but um, a lot of the time it's they get it to themselves. Uh, they've got a community here as well, which is a really special thing about Dolbrin is we've obviously got our regular campers that come a lot of the time and they've got to know us and they've got to know the family and the kids have kind of growing up with them, which is lovely. We've got a real lovely community of, of caravanners who keep their caravans pitched here throughout the year. Um, and the kids tend to think of them as their own, I think, really. They definitely take advantage of their generous nature. You know, they know which caravan <laughs> they'll get the best chocolate bars and uh, which they'll get the best crisps. And, um, you know, it's it's absolutely lovely to um, to kind of watch them develop and, and grow in confidence with kind of a, an, an enormous extended family, if you like. So we can't really talk about this without mentioning the last sort of three months of big challenges that we've been having here, obviously around the world, but obviously here in the UK too. And Wales has handled their lockdown a lot differently to, say, England. Mm, yeah. Um, it's, as you say, impossible not to mention the dreaded C word. And also I, I fear it's it's starting to all get a bit political now. It's, I mean, it's been devastating, really, like so many businesses across the whole country, going from that initial kind of shock to the disbelief that this is happening to, you know, the kind of almost absurdity, the thought that we would be closed for any time during the summer season was absolutely beyond what we ever imagined but it, it you know it obviously was the truth and uh, by far you know we're not the only ones and we've muddled through it's been difficult emotionally especially I've found it a bit of a roller coaster at times and we all very much because of the nature of the place you know we invest a lot of ourselves in it it's very personal um and I found that difficult that the thought that all this hard work was in danger our livelihood was in jeopardy our future at, at times but we have we've worked through it and we've had some really lovely support from all of our our campers and our regular guests and the caravanners who come here so that's at times that's really kept me going all the positive messages of support obviously financially it's it's really difficult you know our income disappeared overnight but again we've kind of muddled through there's been a bit of support from the government with different schemes and the bounce back loan and that kind of thing so I consider ourselves you know now looking at it from where we are today I definitely consider ourselves to be one of the lucky ones I think we'll probably survive it if we're careful there are many businesses and families who have not been so lucky um, and it's yeah again you know unbelievable really absolutely unbelievable there's very few people would have expected that something would have come along that hit not just our tourism industry but the level of consequences all across the board yeah it's um I mean <laughs> 
funnily enough, the week before lockdown, we were on holiday as a family. We went um, to Centre Parks, which was absolutely lovely to get away. And how lucky, I think about four days after we left, they closed the entire site and the country was in lockdown. But even then, even at that time, I think I was in denial a bit. I thought, oh, okay, well, yeah, other countries are are really struggling here and the schools might close and this you know is far worse than I thought but at that point I still didn't really realize the severity of it and that it would literally kind of shut down the entire country and as I say the thought that we would be closed especially over Easter we've had the Maybank holiday first weekend and the VE celebrations and then Whit Week in the Whit Weekend those are all obviously peak times for us in the tourism industry if you'd have told me then we'd be closed I'd probably laugh (laughs) and so many other businesses especially in rural areas where really tourism is one of the main sources of employment of income of stability for so many people so many businesses are struggling and it's it's heartbreaking to see it really is one of the things that makes your site unique is the festivals that you you set up tell us more about those yeah that was absolutely great fun um it came about one of our regular campers came to us with an idea for a festival and she said um she thought Dolbrun would be the perfect place for it, which I completely agreed. And she wanted to do a music festival in memory of her brother, who'd sadly passed away. And she said, listen, she said to me, I'll organise it, I'll do everything, um, you just need to provide the venue. And so that's how it came about. And it was absolutely brilliant. The first festival was in 2017, It was really great fun. It was a folk festival then, so loads of different folk acts from all over Wales. And it was well attended. It was a really, really good weekend that we still have fond memories of now. We were planning to do another one in 2019. Sadly, it was a funding issue. We were trying to apply for more grants and that that didn't happen quite on time. So it was going to, we delayed it to 2020, which obviously is not going ahead now. So uh, yeah, watch this space for the 2021 Dolbrin Music Festival, which, you know, with a bit of luck, we do lots of events here at Dolbrin. We have medieval weekend every year, which is great fun. We have a, a reenactment crew that come and be medieval knights for the weekend which is the kids love it they all can get dressed up in chain mail and they can beat the grown-ups up with polystyrene swords so uh, yeah that's great fun we love having live music here so we often will have a band or an act in the summer so yeah there's always something going on which um, I think you say it's a unique selling point and it's one that um, makes us quite appealing in a lot of ways so if you want to find out more about the site where do we go the best place to go is our website which is dolbrin.co.uk so that's d-o-l-b-r-y-n.co.uk or we've got a facebook page where there's all sorts of funny things on there you know we tend to it's a bit of a diary of what's going on not only around Dolbrin but with the kids and the family and the animals that we've got here and all sorts so yeah check out the Facebook page again if you search for Dolbrin you'll find us there and on Instagram. Shana that's lovely thanks for talking to us today. Thank you so much for having us and uh, and hopefully we'll see you soon come and stay with us Um, it'd be great to have you down here. It'll be our pleasure thank you.
Thank you. Bye-bye. Dolbrin is the very first site to be given the Walks Around Britain Walker Friendly Campsite status as part of our new scheme which aims to give us walkers clearer information about just how friendly campsites are to walkers and what facilities they have. You can find out more on our website walksaroundbritain.co.uk and click on the Walker Friendly link. That's it for another podcast. Don't forget there's walking inspiration 24-7 on our Netflix for Walking subscription website Walks Around Britain Plus. Visit our website for a seven-day free trial. If you'd like to suggest a topic or a walk that you'd like us to do, then by all means, send us an email at podcast at walksaroundbritain.co.uk. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You'll find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest and YouTube if you don't already follow us. Until next time, thanks for listening and happy walking. The Walks Around Britain podcast is sponsored by Travel, the world leader for vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats and more. Visit travel.co.uk to check out the product range for the car you drive.